And notice back in our text says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Notice, didn't God say, kill everything and everybody? Wasn't that the command? Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, in our Bible study, we learn how Saul disobeyed the Lord's command once again. Saul's attack on the Amalekites was good and in obedience to the Lord, but it was a selective, incomplete obedience. First, Saul utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, which God commanded, but took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, which was opposite what the Lord told him. Saul disobeyed God's command once again, but this time there will be lasting consequences to his sin. Partial obedience is nothing but disobedience. Now here's Pastor Rob. He wasn't a worshiper. And notice what it says in verse 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, and here is, here is God's heart, and we'll find out why that is in just a moment. He says, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came out of Egypt. And see, the Lord has an excellent memory. He knows everything. He knows everything that happened in the past. He knows your past. In fact, recall, we just, we're in Revelation 20 just a, a week or two ago. And it says that at the great white throne judgment, those who are outside of Christ, who appear before that, not us, the church, but those who are, have rejected Christ, they stand before the Lord in this great white throne judgment, and books are opened. The deeds that they have done are opened, and then the book of life is opened. But God knows all the events of these people, the, the Am- Amalekites, Verse 3, it says, now go, and here's the command of God, go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And boy, that sounds like a really hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Kill everybody. Again, he'd be impeached for words like that. He'd be canceled. He'd be kicked off Twitter. He'd be kicked off Facebook. YouTube would stop posting his videos. God remembers what Amalek did to Israel, this infant nation coming out of Egypt, just fledglings coming out brand new, and they're traveling. They've got a long way to go, and it's going to take them 40 years. It should have only taken them a couple weeks. 
But God had to prove them out there. But while they were coming into the promised land, in, in route, they were harassed by the Amalekites. In Exodus chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 8, you can just write that reference off to the side here. Let me read it to you. Because as they were coming in to, or getting close to the promised land, it says that Amalek came out and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him, and they fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand with the rod, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became weary. You can imagine doing that. Have you tried to hold your hands up like this for uh, about 10 minutes? You're going to feel every, every muscle in your arms. So thank God for her and Aaron because they stood by him and they held up his arms and they helped him in his time of need. So and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And notice it says in verse 14, The Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek. From generation to generation, God hated the fact that Amalek came out when his people needed the help the most, and yet they got ambushed from behind. It says in Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, Remember what Amalek did to you, by the way. Because here Moses is rehearsing for them what had happened. When you came forth out of Egypt, how he met you, by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, that when you were faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God has given you rest from all your enemies round about, in the land which the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt block out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. Did you hear that? You shall not forget it. Because of what they did, God now remembers it. And he says, Saul, and this is, this is the, the very clear command, a very clear thing for Saul to do. Saul, I want you to do this. It's a, it's a very direct commission. There's, it's very clear. You got the army to do it. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to do it. And this was straws, Saul's final straw. That's what I call tonight's message. Saul's final straw. Try saying that three times really quick. So, notice, utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill everybody, everybody. And we see God's judgment is very similar when God called them to, when they went into the promised land. Those seven nations that were there in Canaan, that God was going to displace with the Israelites. Those seven nations, the, 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 the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, and, and he lists the, the other four. God was going to bring judgment upon them. Why? Just because he wanted to give his place, his people somewhere to go? No, they had been sinning for hundreds of years, and God finally said, enough is enough. I want you to judge them. Wipe them out. Every single thing. Do not leave anything breathing behind. And that's hard, isn't it? But that is God. Aren't you glad you're on his loving side? 
I love the fact that God loves. He loves so intently, but he also, his vengeance is very real. Very real. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, what did it say? But of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord has commanded you. And why? That they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods. So should you sin against the Lord your God. So they've been doing it. God says enough's enough. I don't want them to be an influence on you anymore. Or I don't want them to be an influence on you, period. And Amalek is a type of the flesh. In the Bible, Amalek has always been a type of the flesh. It just keeps coming back, keeps coming back. And we'll see, even though Israel, in this chapter, they're going to defeat the Amalekites to some extent, they're still going to have an uprising of them later on in David's career. We're going to see them rising up again, and they're going to have to deal with them again. It's the same thing. It's, it's like our flesh. It rises up. It, it, it gets quelled down. For some reason, God's grace just brings the, into submission our flesh, and we're willing to obey, and we're willing to submit to him. And then time goes on, and then we're like, eh, let's do that again. Maybe I'll just get this close. I'll get right to the edge, but I won't go over the edge. And we flirt with sin, because that's the human nature. We flirt with it. We think we can do it. We think we can do it better than we did before, that we can do it without getting caught. We can, we can do it better and not get burned But the Bible says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. So what he said in Colossians 3. In James chapter 4, James says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a good wake-up call for the church. Because the world has infiltrated the church. Maybe not here so much. Hopefully not. If there is, we need to examine it, right? But there are many churches in our city, many churches in our country, that are no different than anything else. They don't even bring their Bibles. You don't need one. Right? Some churches, you can just go in and you, you, you walk in and you get a feel-good message. The band pumps you up. It's like a Christian pep rally. And then you go home feeling good about yourself. Can you imagine going to church and always feeling good about yourself? Then there's no change, is there? And then who are we really appeasing? Are we really... It's really then about us then, isn't it? It's not about God. Because if it's about him, we're going to listen to him. And and sometimes he's got a lot of things that really encourage us and, and loves us. And we know that. But there's also very much warning as well. And we need that. Even as Christians, we need to hear that. Romans says, There's therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk, what? Not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's what we need to walk. That's what we need to walk. And that's what Amalek was all about. It was about the flesh. And God is serious about sin. We're not that serious about it sometimes, but God is very serious about it. I would encourage you to take a serious stance about sin. Don't play footloose and fancy free with it. Don't think, well, I got this under control, because believe me, Solomon thought he had it all under control. Most people who are who've fallen into sin and their lives and their marriages and their careers that have been destroyed have always started off with the idea that I've got this under control. It's only starting off light. I'm only, I'm only doing this cocaine every now and then. 
My wife doesn't know about it. I'm just doing a little bit here and there. Next thing you know, you need a little bit more. You need a little bit more. And eventually it takes you over and you're caught and you lose everything. What does Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? That's really good news. He gives it to us. It's a gift. So in verse 4, back in our text, it says, So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. This town, Telaim, is, if you were looking at a map of Israel, in the very southernmost part of Israel, where you might have seen Beersheba, it's actually a couple miles south of that. So we're down there in the realm of the Amalekites, uh, on the uh, west side, and then on the east side, you would have the people of Edom. The people of Edom. And so Saul came to a city down there in the south, to a city of Amalek, and he lay in wait in the valley. And then in verse 6 it says, Saul came to the Kenites, and he said to them, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites. So the Amalekites and the Kenites, they dwelt together. And so um, you know, Saul is telling the Kenites, Leave the city. All you Kenites, get out, because we're going to come against the city. And why, lest I destroy you with them? For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so their their safety is really predicated upon what they did when the Israelites came out of Egypt, isn't it? God is showing them favor. He's blessing them. He's giving them an opportunity. He's removing them before he brings judgment. Does that sound like a common theme in the Bible? Doesn't that sound like the rapture of the church? God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Isn't that what he does in the rapture? He removes us before he brings his judgment upon the world. There's so many types like this in the scripture, and they're really good to see. But these Kenites, these are an interesting people. These, if you remember Jethro, this was Moses' father-in-law. Remember Moses married Jethro's daughter named Zipporah. Um, early on in his career when he came out of Egypt, and he was a Kenite. And the Kenites and the Midianites were pretty much involved in the same tribe. And so uh, Moses obviously had a great relationship with Jethro, and it's probably why the Kenites let them pass through when they finally did come through and Moses delivered them out of Egypt. The Kenites, you know, they they knew everybody, Jethro, and and he was married to Zipporah. They're like, you know, we'll give you safe passage. And they they even actually went with them as far as to Jericho, where they hung out there for a while. The Kenites did, and so God was going to bless them and tell them to get out before he brought judgment. And see, God always remembers these things. He removes the righteous before he brings judgment. Again, just another proof text that God is faithful. He's faithful to remove the faithful before he brings judgment. I love that about the Lord. We see that with Lot. God was going to remove them, him and his family, before God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to remove faithful Lot. Even though he was a a carnal believer, God was still going to deliver him. We see that. And notice back in our text says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Notice, didn't God say, kill everything and everybody? Wasn't that the command? You have to read these things like a lawyer. 
<laughs> because when God, God says what he means, and he means what he says, he, he, he doesn't leave any room for interpretation, which I think is good. So he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, he took him alive. He killed, they killed many other people, and they utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Not all the people, and we'll see that here shortly. But there were two kings of the Amalekites whose name or title was Agag. Agag is not a name, it's a title, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a title. Herod is a title. Ahasuerus is a title. These aren't people's names. And so Agag was the title of this king. And some believe that this Agag was the progenitor or the ancestor of Haman. Remember Haman in Esther chapter 3? It says that he was, it says in chapter 3 verse 1 that Haman, it says, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. The Agagite. The question I have for you is why would they call him an Agagite instead of an Amalekite if he indeed was from Amalek, which he wasn't. Haman wasn't an Amalekite. Agag was the name of a place. And I, I just learned this just this week, actually. I, I was always under, under the impression that it was, it's a nice story if you think about it. You know, having Haman, you know, for you know, hundreds of years in the future, having this deep-down hatred for the Jews, it, it makes for a great story, but I don't think it's accurate at all. It's an interesting, uh, an in- interesting story. Because think of it, the descendants of Saul are not called Saulites. The descendants of Saul are Benjamites. So Haman is from another people group from Persia. From Persia. In fact, a recent discovery, and just to corroborate this, there was a recent discovery uh, on some parchment or some stone, I forget the exact uh, substrate that it was written on, but Sargon, the father of Sennacherib, who was uh, the king of Assyria, said that Agag, he said that Agag was a name of a place adjacent to Media, which was near them. So Agag is a name of a place. So the Agagite makes sense. He's an Agagite. He comes from Agag. It's a, it's, a, it's a different place. But notice in verse 9, but Saul and the people. And look at the order in which it's there. Saul and the people. It didn't say the people and Saul. It says Saul and the people, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, lambs, all that stuff. And they noticed they were unwilling, underline that word, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they destroyed that stuff. That's easy to do, isn't it? But all the good stuff, all the filet mignon, those Angus cows, I just can't, I can't, I can't do it. These beautiful Angus cows that have been grass-fed and they had full range. I can't, I just can't let them go. I got beef jerky to make. I got steaks to slice up. But notice the order of the name. But Saul and the people. Saul was in charge, was he not? And the people would have obeyed him if he held his ground, but his heart was covetous just like the people was. And he was not a worshiper of God, and he blamed his weakness on the people. We're going to see that throughout the scripture this, this evening. And this is what, what not a, a leader shouldn't do. He shouldn't do that. If he's a leader, he needs to lead instead of letting the people lead him. And that's what we found here. And we're going to see that as we go on. And notice they were unwilling to destroy them. Our human will can be a dangerous thing. You know, I need my will broken. 
Do you need your will broken? I need my will constantly broken. That I'm not getting my way all the time. A wonderful animal (laughs) is an animal that's been broken and that submits to the yoke. And it's very happy to do so. And it's it's fed well. It's, It's kept well. But it knows its job. It puts itself in the yoke and it goes along without any complaints. And see, an animal... Just like a a wild horse needs to be broken, so do we. We need our wills broken to where we'll willingly submit to God in his ways. Not how we feel. Our feelings will lie to us. Our feelings will lead us off course. But we need to be broken just as much. And this was a great test for Saul because there were times, you recall in the book of Joshua, when they first came against Jericho, God told them to not spare anything, kill everything, except for Rahab, because she hid the spies. Remember the Hebrew spies? He says, save her and everybody in her house, but everyone else, every living thing, I want you to completely destroy. He did that again, didn't he? But you recall the battle right after that, the battle of Ai. It's recorded for us in Joshua 8. Then he says, and the next battle, the spoil this time you guys can keep for yourselves. There were times when God says, don't touch anything, and there was other times where he said, no, this, this time you can take any, anything you want. But the first fruits belong to me. That's why Jericho was the first city when they crossed into the promised land, and God says, that belongs to me, everything in it. The gold, the silver, all that belongs to me. For my purposes, for the tabernacle. Very simple, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> Is it simple? It sounds simple, but in practice it can be hard because of our will, right? And Saul was a man who was self-willed. It says in verse 10, Now the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, when you see a phrase like this, where, where God says, I greatly regret something, that I've set something, that I've set Saul up as king, this, this doesn't mean that God didn't see this coming. Of course God saw this coming. God knows all things. He's omniscient. He knew this would happen. He he knew it very well. So it's not that he lacks understanding and knowledge, but it still breaks the heart of God when it finally comes to fruition because Saul had the opportunity to obey and he did not. Do you understand that? That's the difference between somebody who is a robot and somebody who has free will. God knew exactly what was going to happen here, but he let Saul work it out. He let Saul do it of his own. He, God didn't intervene. In fact, God gave him everything he needed to succeed. He had the Spirit of God come upon him. Remember, he prophesied. He had all these good things. God treated him very well and gave him every opportunity. But we find a similar phrase in Genesis. Remember that in Genesis 6 where it says, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth when because of everything was so corrupt on the earth, right before he judged it with the water, the flood judgment. He was sorry that he made man on the earth when he was grieved in his heart. He knew it was coming. He'd planned for it in advance. But when it finally comes to pass, it breaks God's heart because he knows that it could have been different had man obeyed. But see, nothing takes God by surprise. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.